of a purifying work in our life. And we pray, Lord, that you protect us from the schemes of the enemy that are so uh, apparent these days. We pray that you would make us uh, your witnesses, salt and light, in the world we live in. Thank you for this time. May your spirit uh, bless it and consecrate it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just a little bit of by way of review, uh, because we did stop in the middle, and some of you may not have been here for part one. So in the first, uh, in the first nine verses, remember in verses one through five, uh, this was Solomon just really making it clear that um, this young man, which uh, could represent a young woman or any person for that matter, uh, to keep the commands that were given. The commands, uh, when you think about the commands that Solomon's referencing, think about that we are children too. We are the children of God. So Jesus could be speaking these commands to us. He could be saying directly to you, my daughter, to you, my son. Uh, So in verses 1 through 5, to keep the commands and that they would be uh, the apple of our eye, that we would actually treasure the commands of God, not think of them as burdensome, uh, but even uh, in the New Testament, it tells us that his commands are not burdensome, that they are actually a delight to us, and that we should uh, recognize and accept by faith that what God has given us is really the best, isn't it? What the world offers is a counterfeit. It's poison. And in the first five verses, uh, Solomon's making it clear that these things, when you commit and surrender and follow after the ways of the Lord, it's your protection. It's going to keep you from the things that are so alluring to the eyes. And and we talked about it's not just uh, things that would be immoral of a sexual nature. There are many things that allure us, right? Lots of things. Lots of things that we really don't need that the catalog comes in. You know? And it's, by the way, it's that time of year when they start rolling in, right? You open up the mailbox and it's like stacked with stuff. And I've told you before, I, you know, I can't go in Costco and not find 50 things that I never knew I needed. But they're just amazing. Like, why have I not seen this before? And they're alluring to us. But um, so that doesn't have to be, uh, you know, the, the heavy, heavy, wicked things that you might think, but, but anything that would actually pull us away and actually... We talked about that Satan uses the smaller things to kind of breadcrumb us away from the Lord. Remember, uh, in the Old Testament, it said Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom, right? He wasn't in Sodom from day one. He wasn't immediately in the place that was filled with so much immorality and so much godlessness. He just was attracted to the stuff of Sodom. So our eyes can be attracted, we can have covetous eyes or lustful eyes to possessions and people. Remember the 10th commandment, it talks about not coveting not only your neighbor's stuff, but your neighbor's spouse, right? So it has one uh, person represented there, but also these other things. So all of these things can draw our attention away. But obviously, and if you read the, uh, the rest of the chapter, and we've just read a portion of it, This is dealing primarily with things that would allure physical attraction, end up in physical adultery, lust, fornication, things that God has said. These are sexual sins that are not allowed. Uh, The marriage bed is undefiled, but any other relationship outside of that uh, is sin. Well, 
in the case of, uh, in the case of this young man, um, he was allowing himself, as we looked at last week in verses 6 through 9, he was allowing himself to go near and just kind of check out the scene, but not necessarily to do anything. And this is such a danger that we have in today as well, because we have so many people that start playing around with images on their smartphone or their tablets or their laptop. And eventually, you know, you, you see these stories, um, you know, they end up in the newspaper, you know, so-and-so is arrested for solicitation, right? It starts out with just looking, but it ends up being something a lot more. And, of course, it doesn't matter if it's just looking, because Jesus said if you uh, commit adultery, you know, you can commit adultery with your very eyes, right? That it's not just uh, the physical aspect. Uh, but we want to keep ourselves away from these things. And, and in verse 7, just again by way of review, he said, I perceived among the youths a man devoid of understanding. One of the things that we understand is that we stay away from the things that would tempt us. We talked about last week that uh, it certainly wouldn't be a, a good idea for someone who, prior to salvation, struggled with alcohol uh, to go to places where that's going to be a temptation because those things uh, would be more attractive. And so if we have understanding, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. We know the things that would uh, cause us uh, to be tempted, and we stay away from them. Um, you know, simply, for me, you can walk me through a store with hard candies, and I'm not interested. Uh, you know, that my girls are like, you know, they're barrels of, like, all this stuff and, like, licorice and stuff. I don't, now, if it's a bakery, we've got a different story, right? So you, you have to know the things uh, that, that Satan would use in you. And I'm not saying that you're sending if you like candy, cause, uh, but you get the point. We have to understand those things uh, that speak to the flesh. So we want to pick it up with where we uh, started reading tonight, verse 10. We talked about last week that um, this young man passing, uh, passing down the path you know, kind of walking near, maybe checking out that scene. But the next thing we see is as he has interest in kind of just exploring, maybe I just kind of want to smell her perfume. Maybe I just want to kind of see what she looks like. Maybe I just want to have coffee, just a short 15-minute coffee, just a little bit. But people love their ego stroke, don't they? Just a little bit of that, just a little bit. Of, we talked about uh, in previous chapters as well as last week, just a little bit of flirting, things of that, li- of that nature. Very, very dangerous. Now, before we go on, one other thing by way of review, before I forget. Uh, this passage certainly uh, speaks to uh, the immoral, the fraudulent, the um, mystery Babylon of the false church, that we would see the apostate church. If you notice what we read, verses uh, 10 through 20, uh, even when you can see the picture of Christ, uh, verses 19 or 20, for my husband is not home, he has gone on a long journey, he's taken a money bag with him, he will come home on the appointed day. Uh, this passage, most assuredly, is a type, as a foreshadow of the fact that Jesus is going to take a period of time and be away from the earth, which he's been since the ascension. And on an appointed time, he will return. And you have here a picture of a church that would then get into adultery. 
and take their eyes off of the spouse. And so I don't want to, that we're not teaching that piece of it tonight, but I just want you to kind of take a look on your own and, and understand that this picture is very clear as well, that uh, we are living in a day and age where the church is starting to commit spiritual adultery, compromising the gospel, changing the gospel, taking the eyes off of Jesus and putting it on what? Man. Making man, we have a man-centered gospel now. And so instead of being in love with Christ, uh, we have a church that is becoming more and more lukewarm, that's becoming more and more compromised, that actually wouldn't call sin sin. Uh, Again, all of these things are forms of adultery. And so Jesus is saying, hey, uh, when I come back, will I find, he says in the New Testament, will I find true faith on the earth? When I come back, will I find that? The letters to the... Uh, seven churches there in the beginning of Revelation, again, making sure that the bride is pure. So there's application in that respect, though we're not really uh, looking at it from that uh, perspective this evening. But I just want to make that point to you so as you do study it uh, on your own, you'll see these things. Now, back to verse 10. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay home. At times she was outside and Times in the open square lurking in every corner. There's a lot. Uh, there's a lot here. What I've titled this next section: "Open to Anything." You know, once a person kind of uh, engages the mind, engages the eyes, and just kind of says, "Like Lot, I'm not going to go into Sodom. I'm just going to go near it." You really already become open to everything. Notice that Abraham didn't pitch his tent towards Sodom, right? Abraham knew better. He knew that to lean in that direction means you'll end up falling in that direction. You, know, you build the angle steep enough, you will go fully in that direction. And so this woman, she knows how to attract. She knows how to lure. And it doesn't have to be just a woman. This could be a man uh, that actually could use the right words, the right compliments to a woman. You know, over the years, I, I, I told you that you know when I was uh, 16 years in the business world, I saw relationships that spouses didn't know about, and it was men, it was women. It's all the way that people would you know say things to actually attract uh, the other person. So this works on both ends. And the attire, you know, doesn't necessarily obviously mean today the attire of a harlot, uh, but just, again, when things that uh, can be used to attract another person. Loud and rebellious. Um, There's no, uh, the enemy uh, wants, well, let me say this. We, as Christians, are called to have a spirit that is at rest. We are quiet. We are humble. Uh, The world, loud, rebellious, uh, very, very arrogant, very much flaunting, look how great I am. And we we really have to be careful of those things and our attitudes. God says, we, we know this because we just read it recently, he says he hates a haughty look even, right? So these kind of things that the world, uh, is very much, um, we see in verse 11, look at the music industry. 
You look at the, uh, the female icons of the music industry. Loud, rebellious. Uh, they wear things that most any normal person doesn't wear uh, on, a reg- on a regular day. But that stuff is done to weaken people's minds and their inhibitions to anything. Don't, under, don't underestimate that Satan uses uh, the pop culture and especially say, well, that doesn't really work on my age frame. Well, it definitely does work on the younger people. And there is a massive influence. Um, you get to be a certain age and you know you couldn't get away with wearing certain things anyway. You just know that, right? <laughs> but when you're young, you're thinking, hey, I can pull that off. Not only can I pull that off, people would think I look great in that. So younger men, younger women. So this, uh, this loud and rebelliousness uh, may not, in the tire of a harlot, it may not be the norm of someone you work with, a coworker, but it certainly is the norm of what Hollywood is producing, and it certainly is the norm of what the music industry is producing, and it has a massive infle- uh, impact on the college kids. We had you know, Campus Crusade here on Sunday, and the high school-age kids, on what they're listening to and their, their iPods and everything else. And you know how much fornication is taking place on college campuses. You know how much is taking place uh, in the high schools these days. And I won't even get into some of the things that, studies that I've read and things that I've uh, seen that are normative today. But not staying at home. Uh, you know that, uh, you know, it's sad that even this weekend, I think it was, um, uh, you know, you see tragedies with young people, you know, Things that happen at 2, 3, 4 in the morning are almost never good. Would you agree? Uh, it's, it's a good thing to stay in safe boundaries. You know, you're in a good place tonight on a Wednesday night here. There's a lot of places that wouldn't be good to be at. And uh, even for adults, uh, you know, when I used to travel for business, um, I wouldn't be at home but I would go back to my hotel room when everybody else was going to do whatever they did. Sometimes I would hear about the following day, hey, what time did y'all get in? 6 a.m.? These are like professional, really have-it-together people, but would act like they were back in college fraternities, and really nothing was off limits. So you have to be careful uh, to stay within places that... Uh, the Lord would have you stay uh, close by him. Uh, verse 13, she caught him and kissed him with an impudent face. Uh, she said to him, I have made my peace offerings. Um, really, no impudent, really no shame. Uh, has a very specific goal, which is to lure. Now, ultimately, the luring behind uh, people is Satan. We don't even wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So the enemy uses people, but the people still are real, and they still have their own desires. And so verse 14, she says, I've made my peace offerings. They have made my vows. I've come out to meet you diligently to seek your face. As you go on, the last thing, let's take a look at verses, um, let's take a look at verses 21 through 23. We'll Go forward, and then we'll take a look at a few things. Uh, Look at verse 21. With enticing speech, she caused him to yield. 
With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her, as an ox goes to slaughter, as a fool of the correction of the stocks, till an arrow struck his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost his life. We'll come back to that in just a second. But I want to um, say that once you've ignored the voice of God, go back to Solomon's advice in verses 1 through 4. The advice was, treasure the commands of the Lord. Follow after the commands of the Lord. Meditate on the commands of the Lord. Stay close to Jesus. It would be the way that we would understand this right now today. Once you've ignored the voice of God and you simply are pursuing what you think will fulfill you, and again, people don't start out thinking, I think what's going to fulfill me is an extramarital affair. That's not what they start out thinking. You might think, what's going to fulfill me is to go have a night with the boys every Thursday night, which those things sometimes go way south, right? Once you ignore the voice of God, you really become open to anything because none of us are as strong as we think we are. If David wasn't as strong as he thought he was, I can guarantee none of us are because he had what a heart after what? God. In James 1.14, it says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own desires and enticed. You know, the enemy watches us closely to see what makes us tick, what, what we're enticed by. It's not necessarily starting out in a moral fashion. Again, it can be other things. Uh, Falk Greville, in the 15th and 16th century, said, No man was ever so much deceived by another as by himself. We self-deceive ourselves in thinking, I'm strong enough, like Samson, I can just go anywhere, I'll be able to handle it. I'm not so much interested in the uh, Philistine culture, I just like to talk to the Philistine women, right? But I, I can handle it. I remember when I was unsaved, um, again, our self-deception. When I was unsaved, I really thought, maybe some of you can relate to this, I thought I was morally better than other unsaved people. I really did. I, I thought that other unsaved people had real bad standards, but I thought mine were pretty good. Uh, I thought I was morally better than my unsaved friends. So, I, you know, uh, when you're young, you have a lot of friends. So we had like a little entourage of about 12 of us. We get into a lot of trouble, but there was a worse to the best guy in the bunch, Right? You always have one that gets everything started. Um, then once I get sa- got saved, I realized that I wasn't any better than any of them. But the things that they had issues with, that they had no issues with, I say the things they had no issues with, for a while I had issues with them, but after a while, the longer we hung out together, I had no issue with them any more than they did. In other words, we all, you ever heard a group think? You actually all start to take on the same, and you can see in the United States, we have a group think of an entire nation that's sinking lower and lower and lower. The commercials now would have blown the minds of people 50 years ago. There was a, a Heineken commercial on the other night that um, uh, Pastor Tony <laughs> uh, put out on Facebook. He did Coverage up in Newport East. He said, I'm going to vomit if I see this one more time. But the things that, that, that have become normative and the things that people accept, we start to 
See, a lowering of standard. And so before I was saved, I hung out with people that I thought, well, these guys, I can kind of add some class to these guys. But it was the other way around. We all became the same. I had one friend that, you know, we, we, we'd be leaving you know, bars at South Florida, you know, 2, 3 in the morning. He would he'd be drunk. He would open up any car door that was available. And anything that was in there, he could take. He just put, set a golf clubs. Just throw them right in the back of the car. And we all just thought it was hilarious, right? But those kind of things aren't funny, right? They're not funny to God. But you just kind of realize that uh, after a while, Satan just kind of dulls your senses to things. This is why, if we as a Christian, uh, once we're born again, we don't just avoid the big sins now. No, we want to be avoiding anything that would take us away from the Lord. Not just the big things. Well, I don't do those really big things. No, what what would kind of take your heart temperature down from being hot and on fire for the Lord? We have to commit to and yield to the continuous work of the Holy Spirit, renewing our hearts and minds. Romans chapter 12 says, we need to be renewed. How about you? You need to be renewed every day, every week. Moment of not being renewed, the enemy can come in rather quickly. Any of you like watching the animal shows? The animals that get taken down only have to be off guard for just a second. Right? It's a momentary lapse. John Owen said, The choicest believers, who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin, ought yet to make it their business all their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin. That makes sense? Yeah, we're freed from the condemning power of sin, but we have to make it our business all of our life to mortify the indwelling power of sin because there still is a flesh that we fight against. Now, how do we do that? It's not saying, I will not sin today, I will not sin today, I will not sin today. You know, that's not it. That actually won't work. That won't last long at all. Now, you don't give sin any... You know how fire needs air? You don't give it any air. You don't give it any air. You uh, are so following the Lord that there's no air for sin to fan the flame. The, the flame that God, you want to have that free-flowing oxygen from heaven, if you will, that fans the spiritual flame, but there's no air for the, uh, for the sin to grow. Idleness. We talked about, you know, that was a big issue with David uh, when he fell with Bathsheba because he was supposed to be battling, and instead, he was kicking back. This is a major problem in the American church today. Because we have such a leisure society now, never in the history of the world, none of, no, uh, never, if you look at the history of Christians, I'm, not, I'm talking about Christians, yes, there was a time that the Epicureans and the Romans and the Greeks, and, and there was you know, the, uh, you know, the uh, time in France and the Renaissance where you had people that, uh, maybe the Gilded Age, but I'm talking about born-again believers in the history of uh, the church have never experienced the leisure society that today's American church experiences. And because of that, we have a tremendous amount of leisure idleness, which leads to a malaise which actually can lead down the slope of sin. That's what David, because David had the kind of wealth that average Americans have today, right? You know, he could just kind of kick back. And kicking back 
led it to boredom, and boredom led into looking across the way, and looking across the way found something better than what he was already doing. And you just imagine how many... I, I've even talked to kids. We go, we go and t- talk to these youth that have been incarcerated, and how many times boredom has led them into sin. Boredom! Do you realize adults today are getting into sin because of boredom? Because we weren't created just to do our job, check out, and then kick back everybody working for the weekend, but actually serve the Lord. Uh, Idleness, getting close to compromise, getting close to temptation, or as close as possible. Well, I can watch these kind of shows, and even though they really have things in it that are really bad and tempting, it's not real. Well, it's not what everyone else thinks is sin. Well, whose standard are we listening to? Certainly not your coworkers. Certainly not your next door neighbors. They might not have a problem with a lot of things. Close to temptation is possible. Simply serving ourselves has become normative of the American church. Say, so, you know, I serve myself, and I leave. I tip God with a little bit of time. Has to be replaced with what? Serving Christ and serving other people. That's why next Wednesday night is a golden opportunity to just come and serve the people in the neighborhood. But you're serving God while you're doing that. Serving them, but really you're serving the Lord. And this is everywhere we're at. You know, if we don't give oxygen to sin and we're serving the Lord and we're talking to the Lord and we're uh, praising the Lord in music and we're talking to God throughout the day and then, again, you don't give oxygen to people. You won't have to have, like I've said before, you will not have a flirting issue if around the office you're constantly talking about Jesus. They will not flirt with you. You'll be having your cup of soup alone, you know? (laughs) Now, you do want to win people over as well, so you want to use tack. And it's, it's, it's a whole thing about, um, there's a, God will give you wisdom to how to be a light and to make friends, but also they know that you're in love with your spouse, not, not anyone else. You're in love with Jesus even more than you're in love with your spouse, and that is evident to people. And then when they come to you, it'll be for real needs, not to try and lure you into what they uh, are, are doing in their life. But um, if we're not serving Christ, we're just as vulnerable to the bondage of lust, just vulnerable to the bondage of greed, just as vulnerable to idolatry as the person that never goes to church and never cracks a Bible. Do you believe that? We'd be just as vulnerable. If we ignore the voice of God, uh, whose voice do we think we're going to hear? If, we're, if we ignore the voice of God, whose voice are we going to be hearing? Whose voice did Eve hear? She was ignoring the voice of God, so whose voice did she hear? She heard Satan's voice. She heard a lie. Satan's is often in the form of other people. Could be a woman, could be a man. They know exactly what to say to break a person down for what? For their own selfish interest. They don't love you. It's always their own selfish interest. The Bible says in Judges 14 that Samson, he went down to Timnah. Notice he went where? Down to Timnah. And that was where he originally ignored the word of God. He ignored the counsel of his parents, similar to Solomon speaking in verses 1 through 4. And he went his own way, which is down. Anytime we go our own way, it's guess where? It's, it's going to be down. Jonah went down to Joppa, right? 
Then he went down into the belly of the fish. Anytime we go our own way, it's always down. Eventually, in chapter 16, Samson, he's still feeling really strong. He's still dabbling in sin, but he still feels really strong. He actually rips the city gates off, and he walks all the way up a mountain uh, near Mount Hebron. But then after he's on a mountaintop, because you can have these little quick spiritual mountaintops, he's back down again for the last time. He goes down to the Valley of Sorek, where he has a meeting with who? Delilah. And she was waiting for him, and she knew how to, she knew how to flatter him, and she knew all the right things to say, and she had prepared everything. Kind of like this whole scene, uh, the Egyptian linen, the cinnamon, the myrrh. She had everything ready for him. Strongest man on the planet Earth at that time. Strongest man to probably ever walk the Earth. We know that was the power of the Holy Spirit. He probably didn't look like an NFL superstar, but yet he could thrash an entire NFL team because he had the power of God. But he was taken down. And Delilah is a picture of the longer we play with lust, eventually Satan will use someone to take us down, anyone down. Anyone can be in danger. And this young man, he had already gotten off God's path. We, we talked about uh, being on the path last week, and then we talked about being off the path. He was told how to stay on the path. He didn't listen. He was off the path. He gets off the path, charting his own course, kind of just exploring, kind of checking things out. Couldn't be that dangerous. So what comes after you keep walking down the path that w- towards destruction? Well, the trap is set. And she says, I've paid my vows. She catches him with a kiss. She says, I've come out to meet you. But all of this, none of it, he doesn't know it's going to take his own life. I want to draw your attention to the trap that Satan sets. And that's found in these verses that we just looked at, verses 10 through 20. The trap that Satan sets. And I want to just kind of enumerate these, and you can write them down. The first is... The trap that Satan says appeals to the eyes. It's going to be appealing to the eyes. Um, you don't have to be, um, you could be blind physically and still appeal to the, uh, the spirit inside of us still has a vision of things. Uh, but for the most part, even the physical, you know, what we can see with our physical eyes is where it starts with. But he appeals, uh, appeals to the eyes, and she was wearing the attire of a harlot. It was something that was attractive. And Satan will put things in our path that would appeal to us. He knows what to... You, know, you don't think he knew Bathsheba would appeal to David? You don't think he knew Delilah would appeal? You don't think he would know that someone that is you know, $80,000 in debt, that, you know, the right kind of deal... Zero percent interest. You only have to pay for 50 years on this, right? You can buy the entire sofa set, $12,000, no interest, pay it off, and, you know, there's this number a year, 2026. I always wonder, there's this fine print there on the bottom of the screen, right? One little mess up or something. But appeals to the eyes. First, it appeals to the eyes. Second, silence the conscience. Loud and rebellious, because the, the enemy wants to drown out the voice of God.
the loudness. By the way, today, people can't hear from God. They have drowned out their conscience because they're nonstop, 24-7, consuming information, listening to music, listening to TV, listening to radio, listening to this, listening to that, watching, scrolling, posting, reading. There's no time to hear the voice of God. There's a different kind of loudness that the enemy is using today. But he's always used some kind of thing to drown out the sound of God. So you, that's why the scripture says, what? Be still and know that I'm God. You have to take time to be still. But not just still in idleness, quite the opposite. Still in the presence of the Lord, there's a big difference. Idleness will lead you into sin. Still in the presence of God will lead you away from sin. Appeal to the eyes. Silence the conscience. Number three, alone is the goal. She catches him alone, all by himself. Alone is the goal. Satan wants to catch people. He even tried to catch Jesus alone in the wilderness. Well, he got smoked in that battle, didn't he? Right? <laughs> so, isn't that great? You're like, yeah, that's our, soul. That's our Savior right there. You can catch him alone. You're going to get worked by Jesus. Because he... He's going to quote the word of God, and he, he never sinned. But the rest of us, you know, we don't just go hang out in lone places. We want to be in fellowship, in fellowship with your spouse is the first person. You need to be in fellowship, not just in a marriage, but in fellowship with your spouse. But if you're not married, you're single, single mom, single dad, whatever, you need to be in fellowship with other believers. Iron sharpening iron, growing in the Lord. Satan wants you alone. He wants you isolated. And, that, and maybe it doesn't lead to adultery. Maybe it leads to deep depression or anxiety or other things. There's all kinds of issues that aloneness brings. That's why you have a family here. If you want a family, God's given you a family. I tell people that are feeling alone, I'm like, look, you need to be with the people of God as often as you can. Alone is the goal. A little physical touch, just a little touch. You know, you can hear stories about people that have fallen into deep sin that they can remember the first time someone just touched their back. Someone just grabbed them by the hand and said, here, let me help you with that. Satan knows there's power in these little things. Just a little touch. She catches him. Just a little kiss. Just a little bit of physical touch. You know, the car dealer says, just, just drive it. Just test drive it. Why do you think they say that? Because if you test drive it, you become more attached. Right? Tons of studies are done. You know? Why do you think Costco puts the little samples out there? Just try this. We have a box the size of your car now that we're going to put in there. I don't even like meatballs, but you'll like these. Right? Just a little touch. Look at this one. God's okay with it. This is a picture of the false church, too, that, that God endorses the modern tactics of apostasy. But in the sense here, she says, I've, I've paid my peace offerings. I, I, I go to church. I read my Bible. You and I, it, it's, it's love that we have. So I came diligently. I've paid my peace offerings. I've made my vow. I went to the temple. 
This is what it's saying. I, I, I have, I'm a good, faithful churchgoer. Do you know how many people on these Christian Mingle and Match.com and all that stuff that are getting into uh, premarital sex and everything else would say, but I go to church, I do this, I do that. God's okay with it. By the way, God's not okay with it. He's only okay with one relationship, and that is a man and a woman that have committed themselves before the Lord. But she'll say, hey, I know you might think that you might feel a little guilty, but hey, you and I both love the Lord. You and I both go to church. God's okay with it. And then last one, make lust sound like love. He says, come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. It's not love, is it? It's not love. Um, you'd find out, you know, people find out a lot of times what, how that it wasn't built on love uh, when they start to have to get up in the middle of the night, change diapers, right? And all of a sudden, life. You know, people that, uh, you know, this is, they might have started out just, it was all physical attraction, but they're divorced in a couple of years because it was never built on actually love, was it? It was built on lust. And unless, even if, even if you got, my wife and I were not saved when we got married. So our relationship to start off wasn't built on love. It wasn't. It wasn't built on biblical love. And did we have certain affection for each other? Yeah. But after we got saved, we had to rebuild the entire foundation of the marriage. Really. We had to rebuild the whole thing that it would be built on Love, agape love, God's kind of love. And even though we're both imperfect, we can look back and realize we really had to rebuild the whole thing, that it would be built on love and not built on things that are a substitute for love. And obviously lust uh, is where it starts. But people can't live a lifetime on lust. They will divorce. They will. They will not stay together, and they'll move on. And they, you know, this is why we see in Hollywood marriage after marriage after marriage. You're like, well, this, you know, if Brad and Angelina can't stay together, right? <laughs> I mean, both of them have been voted the most beautiful of their, you know, sexiest man alive and whatever she was called. But, but eventually looks don't do it, do they? It has to be built on something deeper. Well, for this young man, he actually, his major issue is he's actually with a married woman. And is again, I believe that Solomon is telling a real story here, that he actually looked out his window and sees the young man. He doesn't know, in verse 23, that it would cost him his life. And he looks out and he sees this and how sad it is that he's actually this is not going to be just something that's going to be, well, uh, 10 years later, still kind of get, trying to get over this. No, this is actually really, really bad news for him. Look at the next and final thing tonight. Overthrown and destroyed. So uh, picking it up in verse uh, uh, 23. So we know in verse 21, 22, she entices him. He's led like a, a, an ox going to slaughter. Um, didn't know it would cost him his life. Verse 24, now therefore listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. She has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is uh, the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. 
That's heavy language, isn't it? Obviously, uh, just as applicable to the apostate church and the fact that people following a false gospel will end up in hell. And Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. But also a lot of people that kind of live their own Christian life and, and they're in uh, a moral relationship are self-deceived if they believe that they're going to get to heaven and say, you know, I, I went to church, but uh, uh, you know, I lived with my girlfriend for the last 10 years and I died. No. God would say, you and me didn't have a relationship. You had your own form of something. But when it comes to temptation and anyone and everyone can be uh, it can be a victim to it, like Delilah uh, binding Samson. Ultimately, you know, when she brings him in and they're just kind of hanging out together, she's running her hand through his hair. Ultimately, the Philistines did what? They gouged out the eyes. It started with eyesight, but he became completely, literally blinded. And it's obviously such a picture for us of what sin does. Completely humiliated, they shaved him completely. And then they put him uh, and chained him as a slave that he would actually just grind around the millstone. And this is what sin will ultimately do. In the end, he actually died prematurely on top of all that. The end result, the end state of lust, is always going to be destruction and decay. And it, it doesn't always end so abruptly as it does for this young man. But it does uh, end with destruction and decay. In James uh, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, uh, we read verse 14 earlier, but then in the 15, 16th verse, same chapter, it says, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to what? Death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. James 1, 15 and 16. James said, don't be deceived. You dabble in sin... It event, well, first of all, you dabble in just kind of catering to temptation, then it becomes uh, lust, then it becomes sin, and then when it becomes full-blown, full it becomes death. It leads to death. It may not always be the immediate death of someone. You know, we think in our, our lifetime, we say, well, I know a lot of people that have had, you know, uh, relationships that ran off with the secretary or ran off with the neighbor or did this or did that and, you know, uh, some co-worker or whatever it was, and, and they didn't die. Well, it's not always the death of a person. It's the death of a whole lot of other things, isn't it? It can be the death of what once was a good marriage. It can be the death of what was a good marriage at one time. It can be the death, it can be the end of a career. You realize people have lost their careers over relationships they had no business ever being in. It can be the slow, painful death on the inside of the kids. Well, that's, you know, I, I, I mentioned it last week, but the number of young people that I've run into this year that tell me they are still deeply scarred by their parents' divorce. Or, and, and then when it's, when it's really when someone has left the spouse for another person, it's it's like a knife in the back. Because they, they expect dad to always love mom, and mom to always love dad. And if dad says, no, I don't want mom, I want this other woman. A younger model of what mom used to be, or vice versa. It could be the slow, painful impact on the kids. 
Uh, how about the guilt of hiding on to something so long that no one knows about but God that it's creating serious health problems in a person? You know that's happening? Do you know there's people that, that, that may be even in the church and they are hiding something that they have been into and doing and it is tearing up their body and no... They don't think anyone, well, maybe no one knows about it, but God knows about it. And by the way, guilt will actually, it could actually wreck up your immune system and everything else. Because guilt is in there. It needs to be confessed. It needs to be gotten rid of. But it can really cause a lot of problems. And people may not see the connection, but they might be slowly killing themselves, like Samson kind of grinding around the millstone and don't even know it. Life expectantly expectancy can be reduced with the weight of guilt. Stress and problems. Think about all the stress and problems that come with, uh, you know, adulterous relationships that end up in divorce and the remarriages and the weekend stuff and uh, you got the kids and my attorney says this and all of that stuff and just the weight of it all. Child support and all the things that, that come with it. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to you know, we've, we've had people here that have gone through divorces, and, I, you know, God loves you. Uh, he can restore all that. I mean, but at the same time, you wouldn't, te- you wouldn't tell some other young person, eh, don't worry about it. Do whatever you want, right? It worked out for me, it'll work out for you. No. No, we would want people to avoid. Most of us as adults don't want ever, our kids to ever do the, some of the dumb things we did, Right? And this is what Solomon is saying. He says, don't be like this young man that I looked out through the lattice. Don't go that route. Don't do what he did. God's grace can overcome all these things. And his forgiveness and healing is awesome, isn't it? I've seen people healed of things that they thought God could never heal them from, and they felt guilt, but they don't have any guilt anymore. They've been completely healed. Some have gone on to be remarried, have beautiful kids. God can heal it all, so don't worry about Don't let the enemy try and keep you in the past. That's not at all what God wants. He wants you to be completely healed. But a lot of needless pain can be avoided if there's not more young men walking down the wrong path, more young women walking down the wrong path. None of you parents want your kids walk down this path, do you? Of course not. But also you know, adults that still are being lured away. I remember this one executive when I was um, in business uh, just in, in just a few years ago. Uh, I, for about, I'd say about seven, eight years, I'd meet with this guy three, five, seven times a year. We'd have contract discussions, and we'd go to lunch, and sometimes we'd golf together and different things. And uh, and I did, I knew he wasn't a believer, but it was seemed like a good. Good guy, right? And I always remember all the pictures of him and his wife and the kids behind the desk and all of them. And then uh, one time, it all changed. And he said, yeah, I'll meet, uh, meet you out at this thing. And uh, my girlfriend's coming with me. I'm like, I said, what? You'd always been talking about the kids and, and, uh, and, and the pictures and, and the family and all that stuff. Said, yeah, that, that kind of. It kind of ended. And I was very honest. I said, I'm really sorry to hear that. No, no. But you see that, you know, it might have been feeling good for him at that time, but I guarantee if I talked to the two kids that were at that time, like one was a senior in high school and one was like a sophomore in college, I guarantee I'd have had a different discussion with them. They'd have been like, 
no, this is tough. I don't feel like studying now. I don't feel like going to school now. I don't, you know, I'm developing eating issues or whatever. I mean, these things happen. It's a very selfish thing. Um, lust, it's not just the person. It can be the slow death of other people around us. But individually, if we stay on this path, it says her house on the way to hell. Lust leads to hell itself. Right? Nobody can stay in sexual sin and never come out of it. If you stayed in sexual sin the whole, your whole lifetime, then you've not been redeemed and you've not been transformed by Jesus. doesn't mean that God doesn't want to do that, but you can't stay there. No, you, know, you cannot say, uh, you, know, I, you know, there's a lot of uh, Christian um, ministries and men that say, you know, uh, porn is just this, it's not that. You know, no, you can't stay there. It's not like chewing gum and, and then, you know, biting your nails. Or something. It's not like a, a, a little bad habit. It's serious. It's something that needs to be dealt with. And Christians, uh, they can fall like anybody else, but they won't. It's not the pattern in their life to go the wrong places. Does that make sense? It's not the pattern of your life. It's like, well, I accidentally drank 16 beers last night. How did that happen? I accidentally did it the next night, accidentally the next night, I accidentally the next night, and I still can't figure out how this, the, uh, how this is happening. Well, who had the check card? Well, I did. Who went to the store? Well, I did. You know, I, I, think, I, know the, I think I know the culprit here. So we have, but then we have to say, if someone is in bondage, then they have to confess our sins one to another. That's why God's given elders and deacons say, hey, this is what's in my life. I need to confess it and repent of it and be set free from these things. Amen? But if you just try and hide it and hold on to it, you can walk all the way to hell that way. No one ever knew. You would look on the surface, you look great. But that's not what God wants. If David, if David, the first time he had an attraction, I'm going to wrap it up with this, but listen to this. If David, the first time, and I try and tell men this, if David was starting to be attracted to Bathsheba, never sinned, he's just starting to be attracted to her, if he would have confided and picked up the phone and called Samuel, said, Samuel, I'm attracted to this woman Bathsheba, and you know I'm married. What should I do? Sam said, I'll be right down in a few minutes. I'll bring a bottle of oil. You're going to repent. You're going to confess it. And you're going to get yourself out on the battlefield tonight. <laughs> Problem avoided. Right? That's, so that's what Christians need to do. Say, hey, I'm struggling with this. You need to say to a strong Christian sister, this is what I'm struggling with. Will you pray with me? I don't want to have these thoughts or these ideas or this, that, and the other. You pray and say, and God says, you get it in the light. Get it dealt with, break the chain, move forward. That's what adult Christians have to do. It's not being taught, it's not being discipled in the church, but it has to be done. And when it is, you don't end up having your eyes gouged out by Delilah and her minions. First Corinthians 6, 9, do, not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. They're not inheriting the kingdom. And this is God's word, not mine. You and I all have to live by it. 
But here's the good news. We come to a close. Verse 24, he says, Now therefore, pay attention to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside. This is what it all comes down to. God says, if you pay attention to my word, I'll keep you from the very things that Satan says, I can take you down. God says, no, you can't. That's why God was bragging about Job, right? He said, have you considered my servant Job? Satan says, yeah, I've considered him. I can't get Job to, to, to fall to adultery, but I'm pretty sure if I take away his health, he'll at least curse you, right? But if our heart is set, now Job got restored double-fold, didn't he? Just know that God has your back. And if you're humble enough, if I'm humble enough to say, hey, man, I'm I just struggling with this, confess to someone that you know loves the Lord and is not a busybody and will actually protect you and help you move forward. You say, if I do that and I commit to the Lord, will he actually keep me safe? Yes, he will. Doesn't mean that Satan won't throw darts, but you'll have a shield of faith to block them. You'll have the whole armor of God. You'll do like Jesus when and he was in the wilderness, and Satan says it, and you'll just say, Thus saith the Lord. You speak the truth to your own heart. You pay attention to the Holy Spirit. When I say when it says, Now therefore listen, my children, think of Jesus speaking this verse to you. I'm going to reread it. Jesus speaking. Jesus speaking to us. Now there, listen to me, my children. This is Jesus speaking. Pay attention to the words of my mouth, Jesus speaking. Do not let your heart turn aside to her or to him or to the false things around you or to the nonstop American parade right into oblivion. Pay attention to me. Your eyes fixed on the author and finisher of faith. And if that happens, we not only will be safe, we will grow in peace we will grow in joy. Your marriage will be better. Your relationships with other people will be better. And beyond that, you'll be fruitful and multiply because you'll actually be a light to reach people that are still heading down the wrong road. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we know that your words are true. Jesus, you are called the faithful and true witness. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to do a purifying work in us. Lord, we know that uh, even our righteousness is filthy rags. But we're thankful, Lord, that you love us enough that you've given us the Holy Spirit to help us, Lord, to identify those things that we need to repent of, to identify those things we need to pray with other people, to identify those things, Lord, that would be harmful or temptations and to avoid them. And, Lord, you've also given us the Spirit to lead us into prayer, to lead us into your word, to lead us into serving you. For Lord, when we are faithfully serving you, we do not have time for the things the enemy would dangle in front of us. And Lord, I just pray that uh, if there's anyone here uh, that needs any kind of deliverance from some bondage that they have entered in, Lord, that they would make that right. That they would have that heart to go and say, will you pray with me? And Lord, that uh, if anyone's being lured by anything, that even tonight you've cut the cord like, like you would have done for David. And Lord, for this church, that we would faithfully cling to the word of God and not to the methods of man. For Lord, when you come, you're going to be looking for a pure bride. And may we grow in your grace and in your uh, 
just the work of your spirit, Lord. If it's not for your grace and not for your spirit, none of us would make it. We thank you for this time here this evening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.